the four o'clock football frenzy. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The four o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. Willie Ramirez is here with us from the AP. It's Steve Cofield. Some updates on UNLV football. So uh, no open practice today. Monday, Tuesday, open practice. Doug Brumfield practiced both days. Was a full go. How'd he look? He was moving around pretty well. Yeah. I think he was close last week. Uh, I would say like, say 70% going into the Iowa State game. But when you're talking about upper body injuries or maybe it was, you know, chest and abdomen. Maybe um, it's tough to put him out there against a, an elite team and risk the rest of the season. I mean, there's a risk reward and you don't want to say to everybody like, Hey, we're, we're probably not going to win this game. But I think that might've been the thinking behind the scenes. Let's not get the guy, you know, broken in half. And I know you're so right now on the thought that, Hey, this, this may be the chance for them to you know start getting some wins. This week is going to be tough, but they have to have Doug Brumfield. They have to, they do. Um, I, you know, you know, when we send our, our info to you for the, for the show, right? There, there was a subhead that I had used earlier in the week for, uh, the, the, the boys in the morning. And it said, does Willie feel sorry for Marcus Arroyo? Because after watching that game last week, Steve, I, I, I honestly don't know if this guy knows what to do with the scattered talent that he has. And so without Brumfield on the field, I honestly think that he's just sort of, it's just sort of like, what do I do? What do I, you know, I mean, not that he doesn't know how to coach, not that he doesn't have a strategy, doesn't have a game plan, but I just think that he's sort of lost with, you know, when you don't have a quarterback to a stable quarterback um, with, with, a, with a team that, let's just face it, is, is not strength the strength is not its talent. Um, you have to have your best player on the field. And Doug Brumfield is his best player on the field. So their only hope against the Mountain West Conference, the rest of this slate, the nine games that are left, is to have him on the field. Point I don't think play. it's their only hope. I think they could get Friel and Martell ready pretty quickly. Now, the problem with Martell is I don't know how quick that can be because he was in a walking boot when we got there on Tuesday. Apparently, uh, something tweaked. On Monday, so chances are that he's not playing in a short week on Friday. But I, I'm just, I'm just painting the picture. Like I don't think it's completely hopeless beyond Brumfield. But those two guys, I mean, the, here where they are right now, yeah. Brumfield's barely played, right? And he's shown some signs, but he was around last year, but he didn't play a lot last year. And then you got Martell trying to come in as a 23 year old and get back going again. Right. And I thought he showed some signs, and I actually thought in the second half, Friel showed some signs. But I get your point. Yeah, like right now, he's the quarterback, and to win games. I mean, coming up, it's you know at Fresno, another top twenty-five team. People look at Texas San Antonio, and they're like, "Oh, they can beat them." Like Texas San Antonio is good, and it's there. They're going to be a dog. And then Utah State was a team that wasn't good last year. Well, they might be one of the most improved teams, not only in the conference but in the country. Well, and, and you, well, you say, well, it may not be hopeless because they can get Friel and Martell ready at some point. Well, okay, so the argument last week, or not an argument, but in in uh, Marcus's uh, explanation to you during the coaches' show was well, Martell 
is smart. He knows the system. He's, he's experienced. He comes from big program, the big lights, the big scene, the big crowds. Friel's been around the program. So if the argument was, well, he's been around the program, he knows the system, he went through camp, da-da-da-da, so on and so forth, while Martel was nursing an injury, right. okay, well, they, they're supposed to have already gotten him ready. Well, not to not by, to jump in and take over the team, but, you know, he looked like a deer in headlights. By to, ready, to, I think there's two different ready qualifications here. With Martel, it's playbook. Well, With Friel, it's real playing time. Well, I, the first half, he was shell-shocked. Yeah. And as Caleb Herring kept saying, and we'll, we'll talk to Caleb in, inside of 10 minutes, you know, when you're out there, stuff's happening, and there are outlets, and, you know, when 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 it's when you have a chance to freak out, it's built into an offense that, hey, you don't need to freak out. And I think everything was happening so fast with Friel that he just wasn't reacting. Even Arroyo said it the other day. Um, you remember the interception on a, you know, on a scramble – that Friel threw, he said he thought when he saw Friel come to the sideline that it finally snapped in into his head after the interception, like, calm down. It's just football. Right. And he did play a little better from there. And we'll address, you know, we have the Arroyo show going on tonight, 6.30 to 7.30. So I know one of the things people want to address is the quarterback rotation. People were a little frustrated with that, so he can explain that. He did it, he did in the post game, but he can explain it a little further tonight. And where is that show. Nice, very nice. Uh, 215 on Flamingo, Parkway Tavern. So we uh, we do the show over at Parkway Tavern, 215 on Flamingo. One week, then we rotate down. Rotate, right? Rotate. Um, we uh, go down to the M location on Volunteer, brand new location. So, But th- this week, 215 and Flamingo. Boy, I love stories about sports media. Mm. I love stories about celebrities, too. The behind the scenes, like you really find out the way people are when they work. And... Jimmy Kimmel went on uh, SI to do a podcast and he started to tell a story and I forgot, you know, they've had this long line of different comedians who do the picks and a lot of their material is busting on the guys who do the Fox show, right? Howie and Terry and, you know, Jimmy Johnson and they, they get into it. It's funny stuff. Like I thought Rob Riggle was pretty good. I thought Kimmel was good. Caliendo did it. It's funny when you guys did, uh, did Caliendo mention that during the interview? I think Caliendo even mentioned it. Like that was a hard thing to do because it was static. He would have rather had them there. Well, we didn't realize, at least according to Kimmel, that these guys are are pretty sensitive. So Kimmel was on this podcast, and he's like, "Yeah, hey, here's what happened." And they would have these meetings. They're like, "You have to get rid of this guy. Why are you giving our time to this hole? <laughs> he's making fun of us. He's not funny. He sucks. Get rid of the guy." <laughs> so you were saying Howie Long and Terry Bradshaw hated his stuff. Hated so, hated Jimmy's stuff. Howie Long, a very fierce. Yes. Defensive player. Yes. Terry Bradshaw from the days of the Steel Curtain. Terry Bradshaw, the same guy who was calling Aaron Rodgers wimpy this offseason. Right? Yeah. Saying he was being a baby about all this stuff. Uh, it isn't the isn't it's only Kimmel's the only source on this. So I don't want to cross Terry, I'm not worried about. I don't want to cross Howie. Howie's a big guy. This but is... let him let him finish the story here, because okay, what yeah, happened yeah. was then, and he'll explain it here, then they were like, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to set up a phone line and have the fans vote on it. And Kimmel was like, I tell that to my agent. And the agent's like, F that. We're not doing that. That is bull crap. And Kimmel's like, you know, let's do it. 
Let's do it. So here's what Kimmel did with his next bit. I did this bit with a um, a little person dressed as Doug Flutie. We called him Doug Cutie. And um, and it was funny. And it was even so funny that, like, they caught the guys laughing when they came back into st- <laughs> to studio. And then the guys had to go on the air and say, oh, well, we think Jimmy Kimmel should be um, off the show and go ahead and vote. If you want to vote no, call this number. And I think I got, like, almost 90% keep him. And then they were stuck with me. How's that? Wow. Right? <laughs> Back, it backfired, backfired on them. <laughs> it backfired on them. That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. I, it just, well, it's, it, Willie, you know this. It's very hard for, I think, uh, football players, it's tough to be the butt of the joke when you've always been the bully on the block. That, well, that, that's a... You know, that's a turnabout of what, you know, uh, of what you've been used to. And then uh, high-level entertainers, like, sometimes they're dish it but can't take it, people. Yeah, and you you think about it. I mean, the the the, uh, the high-profile athletes, like you said, you know, growing up, they were the 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 tough guys on the block, the the, the bullies on the team or the big shots. And, and then as you get older, you're the star and you're the darlings. So when you get picked on – but. As a comedian or sports media, yeah. we're used to that's that's right. That's 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 the sign of success. Is I'll uh-huh. never forget one of the first times that I did a show, and and you reached out to me personally because someone tweeted something and you replied. Then you texted me personally. You said, "Willie, don't worry about it. As long yeah. as if they're You're tweeting about it. you, then they're listening." That's yeah, a good thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, I I started laughing when you were commenting because I I, was, I, I uh, we've talked about the Caliendo interview we did yeah. a couple of Thursdays, and I was actually. Uh, getting ready to go on the road, so I was out. So you and Adam Hill handled it. And I just remembered something he said about Bradshaw, where he was talking about because Caliendo went. He got on such a flow. It was like very matter of fact that he mentioned. He's like, "Why do they have him do the headlights? He headlights headlight or uh, highlights? Highlight. Why do they have Bradshaw do the highlights? He can't read. Yeah. I can't speak, but he can't read. And and you know if if I, would Terry have a good sense of humor about that? I don't know. Like, how could you get mad at Caliendo? Well. I, but, I, but you know what? People did. Because one, one uh, you know what? If I was there, I, and I even texted you guys, I was like, you guys did a great job there because I would have smothered Caliendo at times. And I definitely would have wanted to ask Caliendo. You know who got the most mad over the years at Caliendo for the impressions? Gruden. Who? Gruden loves it. Well, Gruden grew to love it. But I think he was gruff at the beginning. John Madden. Oh, yes, yes, yes. It. Yes. And it is yeah, yeah. hilarious. Yes. Like, I don't think... You know, John's whatever he is, 82 years old now. I don't think John Madden realizes what he sounds like. Yeah. That's what he sounds like. Because when he first started. It's it's a, and I know he doesn't do the old impressions much anymore. It is a brilliant, like when he brings out the Summerall and the Madden for a quick highlight, I'm like, oh my God, this is great. Well, I think those, like that type of, uh, that type of impression when you're doing the play-by-play and he doesn't, sometimes he'll do it with, like if a cat runs on the field or a fan runs on the field, he does that. That's great. I think when Madden, if I'm not mistaken, got mad was when he would do the eating bits when he was on Fox and then eventually ESPN. And they do, especially on Fox, right, with Thanksgiving. And I think that is what really ruffled his feathers. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. I used to not be this way, so, um, you know, I've definitely learned from past experience, you know, past first starts. Um, I still remember my first start in high school. I was nervous as can be, but um, 
Yeah, so I think, you know, just being more this way, just being stoic and, you know, being even killed, I think that just keeps my mind calm and, you know, allows me to think more. Hanging at the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. Justin Fields doesn't sound like a rookie, but will he play like one when he starts for the Bears against the Browns? We'll find out. We'll get the take from Caleb Herring here inside of three minutes. But first, Caleb, let's come out with a uh, college football uh, quarterback story, and that is with Charlie Brewer, who's a Baylor guy who went to Utah. He bailed on the Utah program yesterday because he wasn't getting the start. He got benched in the last game, wasn't getting the start in the next game. It's funny, our buddy Dave Koken was just saying, um, Brewer can now take a red shirt and go someplace else. Will someone else want him? I mean, I don't know all the ins and outs of the story, but this seems like a freaking cardinal sin, bailing three games into a season? Yeah, no, it's it's not a good look at all. I don't think anybody – it's not a desirable attitude when you're talking about building a team, especially, you know, if you're if, – if it didn't work out at one program, there was probably a reason. And, you know, the film will bear that out. The coaches talk. That we, we've realized through our time dealing with college football how how much this uh, coaching network is, is connected and how much – they actually converse about stuff like this. So it's going to be basically his word against the coaching staff that he just abandoned, right, when it comes down to that. Because people are going to call and ask if he does try to go somewhere else. They're going to call and ask, hey, what was the deal? What happened with him? And you better believe that at that point, the future is in the hands of the guys that you pretty much quit on. So it's not going to be all sunshine and roses when they when they speak of you. So um, you kind of, in that way, blackball yourself a little bit when, when you kind of set that tone of, uh, we talked about it and just in transfer portal in general, how that kind of burns a lot of bridges when you, you know, when you do it the, the transfer portal way. Now imagine quitting like that. I, I mean, that's a whole different, uh, different taste. You never want to burn those bridges. And I think uh, that makes it definitely hard to, to land somewhere else. When you talk about building cultures and, and chemistry and how important that is, if a coach looks and says, Hey, you've already quit on a bunch of guys uh, just because things didn't go your way. It, it, it's it's going to be tough to to find a new home after that. Yeah, so uh, next coach, uh, when he gets a chance talking to uh, Charlie Brewer, recruiting him, he's like, here's what I'm going to do, Charlie. I'm going to get rid of every other quarterback on the roster. Is that good? <laughs> yeah, like I mean, no you competition. Do that. I'm, you gotta I'm come hand in. it you gotta, to you. You got to compete, brother. That's the way it works. Yeah, uh, all right, so let's talk, about, let's talk about the competition that's gone down with the Bears here. It's very weird. Uh, uh, Matt Nagy is still sticking to, hey, Andy Dalton will be the starter uh, when he returns, and he's healthy. We'll see what happens now because Justin Fields is going to get this game. Um, I like some things I've seen from Justin Fields, but it might be a little bit early. What do you think? I think in regards to all rookie quarterbacks, it's a little early, and I, I don't think Justin Fields is any different. I think the longer you can wait, if you have a serviceable uh, quarterback who can kind of you know get you through the early years of your rookie quarterback during that transition, I think that's the preferred option. I think you know the way the season started for Andy Dalton, I think he was doing just that, and that's kind of what you want, right? Andy Dalton's not nowhere near the quarterback of the future. Nobody's saying that, but. I think a veteran quarterback, in, in most cases, and in, in just about all cases, a veteran quarterback who's been in the NFL for years is a better option than a rookie. And that's not saying that the, the future for Justin Fields, when he does get acclimated, when he does adjust to the NFL speed and the NFL systems, I think he will be a better quarterback at the end of his career. We'll, we'll probably look back. The chances are we'll probably look back and say Justin Fields had a better career than Andy Dalton, right? Um, but right now, I think that the longer you can keep a, a, a rookie – um, kind of sheltered in a sense, uh, not not in a, in a like a negative sense, but um, let him mature and, and let that maturation process take place before he gets to start. I think it's better. And I think we've kind of gotten in a rhythm of, of expecting rookie quarterbacks who are highly touted out of college to come in right away and have immediate impact, immediate success. And, you know, there's not been very many cases where that's true 
but for some reason we 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 fall for it all the time and um you know lawrence right now and wilson are kind of feeling that where you know the doubt already starts to creep in but i think uh justin fields is is going to be the quarterback i, I just think that it's the right approach and this is kind of just listen to the the media and and, and different opinions on different takes on it um people are I think going the opposite direction, I think Ryan Clark is one of the guys who said, why are we coddling Justin Fields when we're not coddling, you know, Trevor Lawrence or, or Zach Wilson? And I think of it as kind of the opposite way. Like we're not coddling him. We're just doing the right thing by him and by his career. He's not going through the fire that's unnecessary for a rookie quarterback to go through if you have a serviceable veteran guy there. So um, Justin Fields will be the guy. I think uh, the longer you can have a serviceable veteran in the, in the spot, I think the better for him um, and the better for the team in, in the long run. So, uh, we'll see, though. He gets his first start kind of thrust into the fire, but um, we'll see how it goes. Hopefully better than his stint when he relieved Andy Dalton um, in, the, in the last game because he you know, he threw his first pick, didn't look too good, didn't look too comfortable out there. So hopefully it'll be a lot better when he's the guy going into the week. Caleb, it's a small sample size, but over the first couple of weeks, what are you seeing in terms of you know rookie quarterbacks that are playing through the adversity of playing with teams that obviously aren't going to – amount to much rookie quarterbacks in terms of their their maturity their poise or rookie quarterbacks that maybe should be in the same position as how you're describing Justin Fields and being protected and and somewhat uh sheltered from you know the fire um what what are you seeing even though it's a short sample size these first couple of weeks with the rookie QBs well for for the most part I'm seeing guys that are that I don't want to say believing the hype about themselves, but I, I think there's that's a really realistic way to put it, right? They, they've they've been blessed with the you know the, the opportunity to be a number one, number two draft pick, high draft pick. Um, they've been blessed with the keys to a franchise and been told as they're coming in, they're the future and they're what's going to turn it around for these franchises. And they kind of believe it and then put the pressure on themselves instantly to make that kind of impact. So you see that in the way they play and the, the type of balls they're trying to fit into tight windows or you know, the, the sitting in the pocket trying to make big plays sometimes. That's the case with Zach Wilson and forcing some throws that he shouldn't maybe. Um, and then you see also just the rookie tempo. Like guys are a little bit late on the passing windows um, that close up a lot quicker uh, against uh, against these NFL cornerbacks in secondary. Um, so I, I think that's what you're seeing a lot with the rookies. I think the most protected guy right now is Mac Jones. And I think uh, probably because of the system in, in New England and the way that they kind of go about their business, it's never been. And if you watch the games, it's it's – even though they had the greatest quarterback of all time, and it probably was less of this case when he was there, but uh, that system, I think, it, it is tailored to be about the system more than it is about individual standout players. And that's why you can go back through Tom Brady's Super Bowl career and all the Super Bowls he won in, in New England and, and look at the receiving core and be like, well, there's different guys pretty much every year because the system is what kind of prevails in, in New England, not necessarily individual. So there's less pressure on Mac Jones and all he has to do is kind of perform his duty as a quarterback. So I think his situation might be the best, obviously, but the the younger the other guys, Trevor Lawrence and, and Zach Wilson, are really been thrust into, you know, the savior of the franchise mode. And um, the pressure of that is, is definitely starting to weigh on them. And, and you see it in their performance. They're not performing to their best right now. Um, and it's kind of a detriment to them, and it's going to stall their career, maybe put a bad taste in people's mouth about how they can perform. But um, we'll see. I, I think, you know, there, there's still chances to, to ride the ship, but I think it makes it a lot harder when you put those kind of expectations, those lofty expectations on rookie quarterbacks. Caleb and myself and uh, Marcus Arroyo, the head coach at UNLV, will be over at Parkway Tavern 215 in Flamingo in about two hours for the Marcus Arroyo radio show. Happy hours going down right now. You got uh, three bucks on the chips and salsa, four dollar 
buffalo cauliflower, $6 chicken fingers, $3 domestic drafts, house wine, and well cocktails. So we have a lot of questions about UNLV for the coach, and we'll get to a few with you in a second. One last thing on the NFL, Aaron Rodgers is the most fascinating story in the league at quarterback to follow him week to week, especially after week one to week two, where he looked excellent. And then he's, you know, doing this live, this radio spot every week where he was going after Michael Finley yesterday. He's got a lot on his plate. I expect him to perform really well, but he does have a lot on his plate. Yeah, no, he definitely does. I mean, and and there's not been many years in his career where he hasn't, right? The weight of Green Bay has been on his shoulders for for pretty much the entire career. Like, if Green Bay goes, it's going to be because of Aaron Rodgers. It's been that way. I think last season was a pressure-filled year as well. He, his replacement got drafted, and he basically saw himself getting, you know, removed from the situation. And then if, he, if you're going to say what he's going to do this year, well, based on last year, he performed well. He's an MVP of the league last year, right? So... Um, there's all kind of anticipation every week, I think, with what happens in Green Bay. It's a story that keeps giving the, the offseason, right? Like everything that went on with him and the kind of drama behind, uh, you know, the, the holdout and standout OTAs and all that kind of stuff. It was it was it was amazing. And now everybody's kind of holding their breath. If you're pro Aaron Rodgers, you're like, I want him to see, succeed. I want him another MVP caliber season. How great would it be for him to get a Super Bowl this year? Right. That's one aspect. And then the other aspect is like, I can't wait to see him fall on his face. It's it's really a polarizing story in, in football right now. And I, as an Aaron Rodgers fan, am enjoying the fact that he, you know, came back and kind of redeemed that terrible week one performance with, with a really great uh, clinic on how to place the ball. And watching Peyton Manning and, you know, Eli Manning and Brett Favre even talking about the kind of throws he was making and, and, and how, how patient he was during the game and his understanding and manipulation of the game was, was really cool as well. So, yeah, Aaron Rodgers, is, he's the gift that keeps on giving this year as far as football story goes. Caleb Herring, football analyst on radio for the Rebels, played quarterback for the Rebels. All right, let's break down the quarterbacks a little bit from last week, and we'll look ahead. Uh, Freshman Cameron Friel, uh, I thought, looked better in the second half. The first half uh, half was rough, and you you made the comment that he was seeing ghosts that time. Yeah, no, I I think that's a common thing. We talk about young quarterbacks getting used to the game speed of the next level, and in this case, it's college for Cameron. The last time he played football in in an organized format was, was in high school. Um, so the speed of the game has has multiplied. And any time that multiplies, you have adrenaline that kind of uh, gets you out of your comfort zone without anybody ever touching you. And that, that's kind of what a lot of people refer to when they're talking about quarterbacks. Seeing ghosts is, you know, you're, you're, you understand that everything's moving so fast. And the worry is in your mind when you're trying to process all that, that you missed something. And, you know, the, the big worry is that you missed a, a rusher or the blitz that, you know, you, you want to get rid of it. So your mind kind of pr- to protect you which is a protection mechanism, you, you you envision or you feel pressure maybe that isn't there just because you're so your senses are so heightened in your your adrenaline state, right? So um, it's, it's not uncommon for quarterbacks who, who have that adrenaline spike and haven't learned to control it yet um, to to feel pressure that isn't there or to feel rushed when there really is no need to. And I think that's what Cameron Frill experienced in that first half, especially where there was options. There was, there was available uh, outlets. There was short routes built into – um, to the to the system and to the play that he had available to him. And it's not just Cameron that's missed it. I mean, Doug's missed him too at, at times during the season and Justin Rogers as well, some of the older guys. But um, yeah, he definitely was kind of, I, I wouldn't call it deer in the headlight syndrome because it's not necessarily a fear factor. It's just a natural response to to doing something for the first time. Adrenaline kicks in and and some of your natural responses take over. And I think that's one of those things, seeing ghosts and, and, and feeling the rush that isn't necessarily uh, right up on you is one of those things that I think every young quarterback has to go through and, and, and grow through. 
and you saw that, I, I guess, as the game progressed, he started to find some comfort and, and, and realize, hey, it's just football. I kind of know this and, and let it rip a little bit. And he had a, a couple of a really good passes there uh, late in that ball game. Last one. I think the fascinating thing going into this Fresno game when it comes to Doug Brumfield, he's going to be back. I feel like Doug has been put up on this pedestal when <laughs> you and I watch these games, watch practice. Like he's still a developmental guy, but because he's been the most advanced of all the four guys who've played, like there are some big expectations on him. And I think we, like a lot of fans need to realize he's still growing too. And he will be facing one of the more physical defenses in the entire country. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, it's, we say, we do this all the time with quarterbacks. It's kind of a savior complex, like, especially with UNLV, like, like we've been so accustomed to not having an answer, right? As UNLV fans, they've not had necessarily a consistent answer at quarterback. And when you see the potential for it, it's like, finally, that's what we've needed. And it's like, there's so much else that goes into first him becoming that guy. He's has the potential to be that, but he hasn't done it yet. Right. It's not like he's, it's not like you're getting some guy that's proven to be the Heisman candidate and he's coming in to save the program. He's a guy that's trying to grow with the program as well. So there's things he needs to learn uh, in order to become the the quote unquote savior and the the guy behind center, like for instance, sliding and and avoiding contact when possible, that's things that he's going to learn and he has to learn to be available, right? Um, but I, I think he's a piece. He's a piece to a big puzzle that has to be put together for UNLV to finally turn a corner and, and get wins under their belts. And I think it's good to have that piece. It's probably one of the most important pieces, if not the most important piece, to a successful football program. But I think all the other pieces have to line up as well. And they have to be together and, and play together in order for it to even come to fruition. So while Doug has shown signs, and I'll be the first to say that he's shown me that he has the tools and I'd be comfortable with him having the keys to the program, I, I can attest to that. I can I can say I agree with that statement, but he still has to progress to get to the point where he's consistently winning, consistently making the right decisions and, and commanding the offense in a way that, okay, he's now taking us to the promise land, which, you know, bowl game, conference championship, those kind of things are now the aspirations that you get once you have the pieces in place. He's a big piece, but I, I don't want to put the pressure of, of savior of the program on him just yet. He's still a young guy, like you said. Caleb, good job. We'll talk to you in a little under two hours. All see right, guys, Caleb. take care. See, see you out there. Hey, take care. Take care, my guy. Willie, hey, take care, man. I don't want to leave you out this time. I feel you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Marcus Arroyo Radio Show is coming up 630. It's every Wednesday. Tonight, it's at 215 and Flamingo. Again, Parkway Tavern Fat Pack is coming up. We'll actually get you updated on the uh, latest vax situation with the Golden Knights, and we're going to talk ice cream cones. The phone lines are open. Join the conversation on Cofield and Company now by calling 702-364-1100 or tweet us at Cofield and Co. We don't mess around when it comes to food. It's the Fat Pack, brought to you by Nova Home Loans. And there's wine already for tasting, and there's Cadillacs all shiny and new. God, I love Cadillacs. And wine. Thanks, Mammy. The one person that... Well, there's well, there's probably two, but there's one person growing up here in the '70s that I wish I would have seen in person, and that's Sammy Davis Jr. Oh my God! Of course, of course, greatest all time, freaking awesome! I, I forget he went on some variety show, and he did Mr. Bojangles. Yeah. Oh, unbelievable! I still watch the YouTube stuff. 
I, I, oh, yeah. I oh, find yeah. myself, but the problem is, is with YouTube, I get lost in it because I, I'll watch some, some old videos of who have, you know, let's say Sammy or Frank and some variety shows. And then I get caught on Johnny Carson and then all of a sudden it's Don Rickles and then it's the Dean Martin roast. And I look up and it's been four hours. I know, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's bad. But there was nothing like it back then. I uh, I can't sing, uh, and it's, it's not the greatest song choice. But to uh, Mr. Bojangles, karaoke would be dynamite. Oh, but absolutely. the whole place would be like, "What? No, you not, wouldn't. Not if you could be, hit it. No, no. no I, I mean, I, I think even if you could hit it, people would be like, "What song is this? Yeah, it's a great song. Yeah, it's a great song. I do Candyman though. It gets a little creepy. Do you sing it to Adam Candy? No, 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 no. It's for the kids. Don't ruin it, it's Willie. For the Don't kids, ruin Willie. it. It's for the kids. Usually try to have a couple of women come up, accompany me, get but, have but, a hat. But for the kids. Uh, it's for the, it, I mean, if you listen to the song, that's why well, you yes. can get, like, again, if people don't know the song, they're like, what's this guy singing about? Yeah. What's happening here? All right. Weird transition, but I got to mention it real quickly. Uh, report out that I think there was only one or two holdouts, maybe one. You'd know better than I. Uh, the Knights are 100% vaccinated. Yeah, everybody's over there except for us uh, talking to Kelly McCrimmon. That's good. Knights general manager. He's he's holding his uh, press conference before camp opens, and he has a, all the guys are reporting that the Golden Knights players are fully vaccinated. Good deal. Yeah. So uh, that means uh, any of the holdouts, maybe, maybe up front. Um, they're maybe, good to go. Maybe, and maybe and a here, couple, of, maybe a couple of forwards. And here and here's the thing. Um, it was going to jack you up in terms of getting into Canada. Yeah. So you want to play hockey or not? Yeah. It was definitely going to be an issue. And I think the writing's on the wall. I mean, because in reality, this is the third season impacted by COVID because you had the bubble. Yep. Then you had last year with all the, with the, with the series. And now you have this season, which we're still in, you know, enduring that. So I was, it was I was looking into uh, the interesting situation around the league is with the Capitals. Mm-hmm. There may have been some holdouts mm-hmm. um, who may or not may or may not listen to their leader back home. So I think the Russians are on board too. We'll see. We'll nice. see what the Caps Vax deal is. I see what you did there. Well, I mean, I think there were, there were some issues. There were some issues last year for sure with the Capitals. I think there's some issue underlying issues with a lot of teams. Yes. It's yes. just a matter of what we know, what gets out, what we hear. You know, important stuff we can't all agree on. Uh, that brings us to National Ice Cream Cone Day. Yes. Um, are you an anti-coner because you're a pro-cupper? Um, I'm, for the most part, a pro-cupper. I, 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 I don't – now, but I'm not an anti-coner. Okay. But I, um, am, but I am a pro-cupper. I would bring uh, the world's most boring person when it comes to food on, but he'll immediately make it into a promo. I think we have 14 promos. They all involve Ari. Um, I assume Ari is a pro cupper. Are you cone or cup? You are wrong no matter what you say, because I like a cup with the cone on top. Oh, wow. You double up. As long as it's not chicken. Boring food, man. Yeah, I don't like chicken in my ice cream because I'm so boring. But yes, I prefer. Can Can you eat ice cream or does it hurt your tummy? <laughs> no, I can I can eat it. It's great. Are I can eat a whole lot of it actually. It a tummy or do you call it? Yeah. Wait, what? I said, <laughs> do you call it a tummy or do you call it a stomach? I don't usually call it a tummy when referring to eating ice cream. No. Well, uh, stomach. You, 
gut. You have a very sensitive digestive system, You're so right. I think in that case it becomes a tummy. That's fair. But yeah, then I just shocked yeah. the world just now with being so open-minded to something. I would do either there or. I'll eat a cone without it, the cup, and I'll eat it with the cup without a cone. Look at that. What What's your go-to ice cream? Uh, so back home in Pennsylvania, there was a place called Manning's. Uh, no relation to the brothers. Uh, and they had something called Charlie Brownie. And it was simple. It was just chocolate ice cream with brownies. But there's still, they had a farm there. It was phenomenal. Best. Wow. So something like that. Okay. Brownies. I like Rocky Road as well. Steve? I'm going to answer on the way back because I want John Murray in on this conversation. I want to find out if John Murray is a pro-cupper, an anti-coner. Is he going to have a – maybe the EDR has a soft serve over at the Westgate. That was always one of the things I liked when I worked in casinos because you don't always, you know, like, like I have a lot of stuff at home. I got the slicer, you know, yeah. but I don't have a soft serve ice cream machine at home. So we'll find out from John on the way back if uh, what his go-to ice cream is, if he's a, a coner or a cupper. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting. Betting. With John Murray. Uh, distressing news emerges during the break. It's National Ice Cream Cone Day. Uh, Willie admitted that he's more of a cupper than a coner. Willie, you want to come clean on this? You want to change your mind? Do you want to embarrass no. yourself in front of the Vegas audience? No, absolutely not. Because the, the argument for me is that they will fill the cup and keep pushing the, the ice cream scooper and pushing the they'll, scoops they'll, into get, you it. You get more value. You, you get more ice cream. Okay. Whereas Ari's argument was, well, I want what I pay for. So he gets, that's why he asked for the cone on the side or to be stuck on top. He gets the cup and the cone. John Murray, it's National Ice Cream Cone Day. Are you a, a coner or a cupper? I'd probably go with the waffle cone. I, okay. I don't know about the cup. Okay. I now, don't think see, so. now, see, to, 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 to John's point, what I said was there's a place in town, you know, if you go to Cold Stone, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of worth it to get the cone. But there are most places that I'm getting. When I was a little kid, we used to go to. I think the only really place that you could go was Baskin Robbins, outside of some some Love It's, whatever. But and my grandfather would call it Bushkin and Bobkin instead of Baskin <laughs> right? and Robbins. Okay. But I'd get, I'd always get chocolate with orange sherbet. Now, what was your? Oh, your, God. orange sherbet. Yeah. Oh. But is, don't I'd you want to eat, eat a? Don't you want to eat out of a cone? It's more satisfying when there's nothing left at the end of the meal, the like only, when you eat soup out of a bread bowl. No. I, the only oh, food, that's, wait, that was that was a great transition. The value you, of the bread bowl. You want to look down at the table and see nothing there. It's nothing. very satisfying. No apparatus, no serving in, instruments, nothing. Right. The only value, the only food I want to run the risk running down my wrist is New York style pizza folded up in half. When okay. you put it in, <laughs> grease is going down the arm. I can do that. Okay. Yeah, John, John's with it. John's with it. it. All right, John. Let's talk super contest. Uh, first of all, the is the through first the first two weeks because you've got uh, what three week contest and six week contest. I believe the yeah. leader so far in the super contest is a Sterling nine zero and one. Yeah, that's pretty impressive, Steve. I yeah. don't know that I've ever gone nine zero and one across two weeks in the National Football League. That that I, I don't think that I ever will. I'll tell you that. And then we've got, like you said, we've got another contest starting next week, week four. There will be another three week contest. So if you're like me and the first two weeks were ugly, you've got another opportunity to start again next week, week four. I love these numbers this week, uh, and I love that some of them aren't moving, so we're going to try to figure out what the hell is going on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, Thursday night football, and you know, generally people aren't going to fire on that in the Super Contest. Uh, the, you know, they're a little gun-shy. They wait until later in the week. But um, no tie god, and the line really hasn't moved much. I think it moved like a, a point, so the Panthers are favored against the Texans. 
You know, in fairness to Tarot Taylor, I mean, we kind of knew he wasn't going to play when we put the number up on Sunday night. That's a good point. So I, I think that there is a slight adjustment based on him officially being ruled out, but we were already expecting that either he wouldn't be playing or that if he was playing, it would be an injured version of Tarot Taylor. So uh, there is a bit of a difference there when you go from him to Davis Mills. Davis Mills struggled when he came in against <laughs> Cleveland on yeah. Sunday. I feel like a bit of a difference – it's kind of a sad thing for the starting quarterback when you go to the backup, and we've seen the number move a little bit. Where are you guys right now on the Raiders? It's uh, I'm seeing three and a half, four, four and a half, Dolphins and Raiders. Yeah, we went to four and a half uh, shortly, so maybe an hour or so ago here at the Westgate. We were at four most of the week. You know, our look-ahead number on this game was more like a pick'em. So possible overreaction here. Miami loses 35 to nothing to the Buffalo Bills last week and the great Josh Allen. The Raiders with a great win in Pittsburgh uh, on Sunday morning. Everybody is on the Raiders in this game, so be careful. I mean, it's a very wide ticket count, very wide money count. The books in Nevada, Miami's going to be maybe the biggest need of the week. You mentioned the wide count. Where did you guys finish? You told us last week exclusively mm -hmm. after seven other shows, but you told us that the Chiefs wow. had like a 35 to one. <laughs> yeah. I just, I love yeah. sending out exclusive after you told like seven other people. Right. Um, yeah. you, you said the Chiefs were 35 to one ticket count against the Ravens. Mm -hmm. And obviously the, then the Ravens wind up winning. They cover. Um, where did that wind up? Do you have like a ledger of all the shows I'm on? Or are you keeping track of this? Seven was a very, that's a very specific number. I, you know, I, I only say stuff like that to grab the headline, Steve. Yeah. I'm just trying to, yeah. I'm trying to get people's Quick, attention. It was, it was 35 to one at that time. But that was very yeah. early in the week. So it's a pretty yeah, small yeah. sample. The final number was more like 75% of the bets were on Kansas City. Okay. Okay. And that was you, a great result for us, obviously. Yeah, you know what you're doing. We need clickbait. You yes. give us clickbait. Exactly. Don, that's what it's all about. It is what it's all about. Let's go back to the Raiders, Miami. You made an interesting point, which I, which I was I've been holding on to and saving throughout the show, just to talk about when we when we bring up the line in that game. Because mm -hmm. and Steve and I were talking about it off the air, is that he hadn't really seen any ones, and I had seen early in the week and and leading up to going into Monday, where it was Raiders one, and you made the interesting point about Carolina Houston that you sort of went into making the adjustment with the assumption right, that Tyrod would be out. I kind of felt as if people are saying today, once Tua was announced, well, wow, the line hasn't moved. In my assumption, when they came out Monday, given the injury, given the nature that uh, Tua, you know, hit with his ribs, that the adjustment from one to four, it wasn't a three-point move off betting. It was an adjustment based off the initial report on Tua with the assumption that he's probably not going to play. Is that right, or did you actually – did the line get moved because of the action? A combination of things. You've, you, you've got the Raiders with a big win, Miami with a terrible loss, and the quarterback adjustment. I don't know that there's that big of a difference. You talk about going from Tua to Jacoby Brissett. I don't, I'm not sure that that's something that's worth several points, but that's how, that's how the market is setting up now. That's how the game is being bet. All the money is coming in on the Raiders. And, and, and part of our job is to protect the book. Regardless of what we think the line should be, we have, to, we have to go with the market to an extent here and follow the way the game is being bet. Everybody's on the Raiders. So that's why you're seeing this number push up to a, to a point where I, I think it, it does look a little bit inflated because I don't know that Tua really is that valuable. Sunday football preview show. John Murray will be with us. It's uh, myself and Adam Candy, 8 a.m., from the Westgate as we get ready for football central in the theater and in the book. Another one of these stories of, uh, you know, the starting quarterback going out and really not getting too much respect so far 
Do you think Justin Fields starting for the Bears that this Cleveland number is going to stay at seven? Uh, yeah, I, I do. I, I, that's another oh. one where I don't. I don't really think the quarterback makes much of a difference there. I mean, Justin Fields, he had his moments against the Bengals. He also made a really bad throw there for a pick six. So, Chicago fans. Be careful what you're wishing for here, but I will say I, I watched I watched some of Cleveland the first two weeks. They got a lot of issues in their secondary, so this could be a good time for for Fields to to get his feet wet against a, a secondary that hasn't looked great at times. John Murray on the horn, good Willie. Uh the 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 to me the spotlight game, the defending mm-hmm. champs going into L.A. with the uh, you know I, I would normally say with that Buccaneer defense, but I'm not sure. Um, you know, on the road against Stafford and that uh, Rams offense, and, and it's it's a near pick em, but it looks like uh, Tampa Bay won one and a half. What's the action looking like early on that one? It's definitely the spotlight game. It's, there's a chance this could be the most heavily bet afternoon game of the whole season, possibly one of the few weeks where a game in the afternoon has more action on it than the Sunday night game. We, wow. we opened this game Rams minus two and a half. We're now at Tampa Bay one and a half. All kinds of wise guys on the Buccaneers right when we opened it. They were taking two and a half, two, one and a half with the Buccaneers. We've been a little surprised by it, honestly, guys, because we, we think the Rams, we think we had the right number. We opened it with Rams two and a half. Like I said earlier, you got to go with the money. You got to respect these sharp players, and they're all pushing it towards Tampa Bay favored. But it's a tough spot. It's the first road game for the Buccaneers. They go out to the West Coast. Their defense really has not looked good. The first two weeks, that final score against Atlanta, a little bit misleading. Tampa Bay had two pick sixes in the fourth quarter of that game. And, and we think the Rams are just so much better with Matthew Stafford at quarterback. Tough spot for the Buccaneers. Don't forget, too, Brady's got pretty big game next Sunday going on the road against the New England Patriots on Sunday Ooh. Night Football. I don't think Tom Brady's going to look past this game. I'm not saying that. But he does have a tough game next week. It is a tough schedule spot for the Buccaneers. John, we appreciate your time today. Thank you. Anytime, guys. Thanks. Five o'clock hours on the way. We're going to get into uh, Bryson Stott, the Panda, and Halloween. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today.